This is not a Moni Myrtle type situation, ladies and gentlemen, okay? Thanks for this clearing is, that up. This is how ghosts actually <laughs> exist. Jesus, how long it takes me to eat a pie. Mm-hmm. So that's actually zero seconds because I hate pie. Okay. So you wouldn't? No, I wouldn't. Although perhaps Rooney Mara's character also hated pie. That's true. She didn't have a good reaction to it. Me and my mom watch a lot of things together. Um, we Not watched gonna... the episode of Girls where Marnie gets her ass eaten out. <laughs> um, so at this point, I don't know that slow would be <laughs> all that bad. Yeah. In this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new David Lowry film, which is A Ghost Story, starring Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome into episode 122 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, again, along with just Nick Cheney. Or am I? Could there be another being... Is Nick Cheney even here? He's going to go the whole episode without talking. This is this is um, unfortunate. And now he's just creepily waving and looking at me. Hey, Alex. How are you? Hey, buddy. Okay, I'm glad we're able to come back there. Okay. <laughs> I thought maybe I could stretch that out for like a good 10 minutes. But, like the, like the or pie. as I like to, yeah, I was going to say, or as I like to call scene. it, how long it takes me to eat a pie. Mm-hmm. So that's actually zero seconds because I hate pie. Okay, so you wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Although perhaps Rooney Mara's character also hated pie. That's true. She didn't have a good reaction to it. She, she seemed to be compensating for something in that scene. No. Also, <laughs> just like Rooney Mara, well, until she made a ghost story, mm-hmm. I've never had a pie before. Really? Yep. Mm-mm. But okay. I don't like anything sweet, so I don't know why I would have a pie. So you've never in your entire life eaten a piece of pie? Nope. Wow, really? No pie, no ice cream, no... Never even cake. just, like, tasted it once, really? Pie, probably not, because I don't remember pie around a lot when I was, like, a child child. Mm-hmm. So I would have been fully formed by that point. Um, like, I'm sure I've licked an ice cream cone once to know that I never want to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, yeah, no cookies, no... Yeah. Once, once I started connecting the dots... <laughs> Of like, okay, just because it looks like bread doesn't mean it is bread, mm-hmm. and that pastries were a thing, and so on and so forth. But yeah, no, pie is definitely something. I used to make pies all the time. Huh. Uh, well, not literally me, but um, our family we used to go to the apple orchard when we were young and pick the apples and make apple pies. And hmm. our, our extended family said that they were just about the best damn apple pies they had ever tasted. But you I never actually, know, so. yeah, I, I made them, but did not eat them. Good. Because that's just the kind of selfless person I am. Gentleman. Thank you. A true gentleman. And a scholar. Debatable. <laughs> so, uh, here we have a new film uh, by David Lowry, and that's what we're going to be discussing on this episode, and that is A Ghost Story. Uh, as mentioned in the in the opening. Boo. The, yeah. Thank you. The uh, the stars of this film are Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara, even though this is... Um, excuse me. Mm-hmm. You're forgetting one more person. Kesha? Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Don't be I... disrespectful to Kesha. No, I, I didn't want to, you know, <laughs> I was going to mention her, but I, I'm surprised that's actually where you were going. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that is exactly where I was going. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, no, she kind of is here. Um, she was. Yeah, and then there's this other guy named Will Oldham. Uh, who goes on a four-minute uh, 
philosophical rant. Yes, that's perfect, actually. Mm. Uh, and it just keeps on going. And um, it does. that's probably the longest and most dialogue we have in the film. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you started that, I thought you were like, whatever you were going to say was compared to other films. Oh no, I'm like Tarantino. No, <laughs> no in, anyway, in this I particular, yeah, film, that's certainly the longest stretch of dialogue, of... if not like the only <laughs> stretch of actual pronounced dialogue. Yeah, you know, because there are a lot of like whispered conversations, pillow talk, that kind of stuff. But... Yeah. But here, that's the only time when it's the film of... truly shows its hand with actual yeah. actor or actress speaking. Right. And it's really just also speaking. It's like we're already getting into it. But I, I, since we're on that scene, um, it's, fine. it's also the only kind of moment when you feel like you are like present and not going to be like yanked away from uh, any given moment during that scene. Which, anyway. Yeah. So anyways, this film centers around a singular exploration of legacy, love, loss, and the enormity of existence, a recently deceased, white-sheeted ghost returns to his suburban home to try to reconnect with his wife. Wait, wait, wait. So I, think, whoever, I, think, I think there was a very poor punctuation. I was going to say, there. can I see it? Just, yeah, no, I'm just there, very curious. There, I'm pretty sure. Let me hold on. Let me just count. I'm, I'm not quick. saying I'm no, no. faulting you. No, no. I there just... are there are five commas within the first fourteen words of this sentence. Well, that's just good writing. <laughs> okay, let me see here. What do we got? Okay, singular inspiration, legacy, laws of anatomy, existence, or recently. Yeah, first of all, what are we doing there? Okay, recently deceased, comma, white-sheeted ghost. Yeah, see, what's weird about that, um, let's just say that... Attempt? Yeah, is that it almost makes it sound like the ghost was alive and then died. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not the best. It's not a Moni Myrtle type situation, ladies and gentlemen, okay? Thanks for this clearing is, that up. This is how ghosts... Actually exists. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was there too. It was. Believe it or not. He was. He was the one who actually murdered that settle, family of settlers. <laughs> was it? He's really good with the bow and arrow. Yeah. It, and then and then the bear came. Well, you know, and... he makes the cross. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Oh, boy. Yeah, no, the, uh, the Indians or Native Americans come and take care of that. And then all of a sudden, we're back where we started. Isn't that so just the way... No, not usually, no. No? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, so, I guess we could start out by saying that this is definitely a film that, that Nick was, was quite interested in. Uh, we were looking for things to do on this episode, knowing that Tucson would again... Uh, not be, be here. Not here. And we thought that this would be the best time to go see this movie, because I was afraid that, um, unfortunately, just due to the costume design of a certain character that maybe Toussaint would accidentally have some PTSD and maybe get a little lost in what could be confused as, you know, I would say diluted clan imagery. Um, and I'm just, I'm super respectful of my friends, of their struggles in life. But hopefully he comes back next week when we do an episode on Detroit, so... He won't after he hears this. <laughs> Well, he probably won't listen to it, so it's fine. Thank God. He barely pays attention when he's here, so. Oh, that is... Am I going to finish that sentence? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, Tucson, I do love you. Yeah, and uh, we miss you, bud. But we do. Yes. We do. Whenever we... whenever he's able to come back again, whether it is for the next episode or We're never going to let go. No. Just like, <laughs> just like Rose, when she utters those faithful words to... Leo, and then let's go. Proceed to let go yeah. four seconds later. Oh boy! Well, it's James Cameron. That's marriage. I mean, am I right? You know, that's well. They weren't married, so. Well, I mean, come on. Do you have to get married to be married? I mean, love is love, dude. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. No, marriage is usually pretty a pretty big oh, distinction. So I see. So you got very. Uh, narrow-minded views on what constitutes marriage, do you? Is that the conversation you want to have? Well, I mean, if... Take your secular bull. 
bullshit out of here. Now, if just, I'm just kidding, no, no, we do not need to have this. Just to step away for a second okay. here, if this I is, will. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think in 1912 they may have had a bit of a narrow-minded view on certain things. They did. They did. As and we, they had, we still s- do slaves still that were white at least at the time, but. You know. Yeah, women weren't really doing too hot then, either. Through no fault of their own, let's just be clear. <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't want to make it seem like we were, were we, as a podcast, the royal we here, are against women in any period of time. <laughs> it's getting really deep. Thank you. <laughs> we're not against women in any period of time. We never claim to be Mm -hmm. feminists on this show, Mm -hmm. but I think it comes across pretty naturally. Yeah, I think we are definitely... (laughs) Why are you following that up with something genuine? (laughs) Because you are just leading me down that path, and I'm trying to continue with your olive branch and... You oh, are man. spitting in my face. Speaking of Olive Branch, we were supposed to go to Olive Garden today. Yeah, they didn't have their shit together. No, there was nobody in that restaurant, <laughs> and they said it would be a 20-minute wait. And I was like, oh, you yeah. guys got to go buy the pasta? Like, what? Yeah. So We got the black people treatment at Denny's. It was... Wow. We are just... <laughs> I feel like we need to start this episode over. Because <laughs> it's... Too good. <laughs> yep, we're having too much fun. I'm just waiting for one of us to offend Jewish people next. Like we could probably figure that out. <laughs> Let's not try too hard. Just locker room talk. It's all good. Oh boy. <laughs> so, anyways, Nick really wanted to go see a ghost story. Um, he kind of told me the premise, uh, and I told him that I thought it sounded horrible because, to me, this you have no joy in your life. It's okay. That's an opinion. Um, to me, the premise of this film sounded like something I would hate. Now, let can I no, just like ask a genuine question? Because this mm-hmm. is before you saw the trailer. Yes. So, what is it? The fantasy element of the premise, or mm-hmm. is it the uh, pacing of what I kind of explained as mm-hmm. far as what I had heard? Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's not like the it's, premise itself. Of it's, just a ghost and... Yeah, no, it's okay. more of the way that the story was going like to be... Like the Sundance buzz surrounding the pacing and the editing and that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, some people absolutely love that. And for the most part, I've seen not a lot, but quite a few films that are like this. Um, very. There aren't a lot of films like this, in my opinion. Okay. I'm not saying it's uh, peerless, but... Um, yeah. In terms of at least just the pacing and the way that the film tries to let its characters show you the story that is here, I guess. And the lack of action within different scenes throughout the film, which this film really only has two speeds, which is extraordinary slow and letting the characters just live their lives in the scene. And then there's the extraordinarily fast movement through between 30 to 300 years. And it's just keeps on going. And you really don't know where you're going to stop next. No, you really don't. And um, yeah. So anyways, just without the explanation that I just gave after seeing the film, just hearing you kind of tell me what it was about. And also, anytime really... I know that when you are excited for something and the way you describe <laughs> it, I, I've, I've, I've learned that there are ways, there are certain, certain words that you Signifiers. use. Yes. Yeah. That if I hear them, the alarm goes off in my head that says, this is not going to be good for me. So, yep. I, I and I, I have to admit the trailer did uh, intrigue me a little bit. Um, but I, I guess I'm kind of talking a little bit about it, so I might yeah. as well just start off. Can I ask you a question just to move into your sure. thing? Mm-hmm. Are you at all glad you saw it on the big screen? I'm not necessarily talking about like visual or whatever, but like 
had you channel surfed and caught the, oh, I never watched the very beginning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying as far as like seeing it. Anyway. I mean, I... Um, I was, yeah. Anyway, continue. At least, uh, you know, I will say this. At least I got to watch something different because, again... Uh, if this is a film that was just on Netflix and I was like, oh, this was at Sundance and whatever, I would have turned it off after 15 minutes. No doubt about it. So for that, and I should try to broaden my horizon, even if I don't care for it, um, I guess that would be a yes. But at the same time, broadening your horizons is overrated, man. The last time I you know, set mm-hmm. out to do that, I ended up watching Golden Age pornography. So... <laughs> You know, it doesn't always lead you down good alleyways. <laughs> <laughs> or you could watch the special features of Solo, and that'll be good. Hey, that's a great movie. Does that have special features? Of course it does. Okay. My win is Criterion Edition. But is it... Now, have you watched them? Uh, no. Yeah, I watched one of the uh, making ofs. And now, is it pretty detailed, or...? Well, what's great about it <laughs> is that the making of... Mostly consisted of Pier Pasolo, uh, Pasolini himself, a director and writer, mm-hmm. just talking for 20 minutes. And he's very, very in- interesting, even being philosophically and whatnot, you know. So he's one of the most interesting filmmakers, I think, like separate from his actual film, but just as a person. So considering it was more just like him talking about how life sucks and <laughs> <laughs> and we can all eat shit. Um, I, I enjoyed the the little I watched of the uh, special features for Solo. Oh man, uh, that sounds like watching Lars Venture talk about life itself. But so. the difference between like like because they are similar, mm-hmm. the difference between them is that when you listen to Lars von Trier, and I love his films, but I can't listen to him talk <laughs> because he just sounds like he's up his own ass, and he's only like he he sounds like this whole depression, whatever, which I, I totally buy. I'm not saying he doesn't. I, I have it myself, but that it's like he's using it as a conversation starter because he's not actually that interesting himself, which I would also then turn on his head and say that's not necessarily true because his works, I think, are fantastic, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Pier Pas- uh, Paolo Pasolini, when he talks, is so straightforward and blunt that he never actually, I don't always know if, like, He's a depressed and cynical person. <laughs> he just says these things like fact, and it's just fascinating. So, hmm. yeah. That's interesting. Anyway. I would say I'm going to maybe watch that someday, but I don't think so. It's. I'm not saying you have to or anything like that, mm-hmm. but once again, I will say to anybody, as someone who has seen it, to someone who's never seen it, Salo is definitely not as bad as anybody thinks it is until you actually watch it. It is so much worse when you hear what's in it, whatever. And I'll say I've seen much worse films than Salo when it comes to, like, gross out, whatever. The only thing in Salo that gets a little whatever is the last five minutes of the entire movie, and then Mm -hmm. the movie's over anyway. Um, But, uh, yeah, like, it's way more weirdly surreal and um, a lot more people talking than you'd from think it would be for a movie that's very notorious of just being the original torture porn. Hmm. Except not really. Anyway. Sounds like a Stanley Kubrick film. Kind of. And yeah. um, how laborious it can sometimes... Well, and I mean that's, that in a good way, yeah. but like, you know, just the it, it, people in a room in, in a very tableau-like layout. Um, yeah, no, it's definitely... Um, I think Kubrick probably loved Pasolini. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one of those films where I feel like if anyone even entertains the idea that one day they might watch it, one day they will watch it. Like, it could be 10 years from now, it could be 20. But one day they'll be like, well, I guess I'll watch Slow today. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll call their mother afterwards. Oh, no. Oh, I was going to say... T- no. Do you want to watch this film? <laughs> I just found it at the Red Box. Listen, me and my mom watch a lot of things together. Um, we Not watched gonna... the episode of Girls where Marnie gets her ass eaten out. <laughs> um, so at this point, I don't know that slow would be <laughs> all that bad. I'm just saying. Yeah. Still, it's one of those things that you know you can put in your life journal. So that's great. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so a ghost story. We're getting sidetracked here. Hey, it's just surprising that Brian isn't here. These are yeah, usually Brian. the kind of episodes we have with him. <laughs> Maybe is here. Oh, because oh. of the whole ghost thing. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't care for this film. Um, uh, and I, I guess I would say that this film, for me at least, 
if you go into this and you say to yourself, I'm going to try to give this a chance, if you are suspect about what this film is going to be, the 30 minutes are going to knock that right out of you because I felt the like... The first 30 minutes? Mm-hmm. Okay. I felt like the first... 30 minutes of this film uh, were trying they were to me it felt like a little bit like an AP course at in high school where we need to weed out the people who shouldn't be here hey. so anyone who really doesn't want to like this film we're going to make sure you lose interest really quickly and if you are into this and you are enjoying it there will probably be a reward at the end and you'll enjoy the rest of this film. But if you already were not sure, we're going to make sure you hate this right away. So on that note, can I just say, Mm -hmm. tying into film history, uh, famously, Andrei Tarkovsky, um, Russian filmmaker, who I've only seen one of his films, and that's the film I'm going to mention here, but I love that film. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very slow-paced film. It's science fiction, whatever. In the first... 40 minutes at one point um a character goes for a drive like you know he's called to go somewhere mm-hmm. and the camera is just in the back of his car as he actually drives the full length of where he's going from where he started to where he's going at the 10 minute scene in which there's no obviously mm-hmm. there's ambient noise or whatever he's not listening to the radio whatever and it's funny because I watched that movie and I watched that and I love that scene because I'm just like, oh man, you know, like whatever bullshit pretension I have in my head. But I'm mm-hmm. just like, I like that, you know, we actually got to live in that moment, whatever. And then I read an actual interview with Tarkovsky back then and said, yeah, I put that because I wanted people to walk out of my movie if they weren't <laughs> going to like it. Like that was him on record saying that. So I just thought that was funny. And, and it is similar to that notion, I definitely think. Yeah. Um, so anyway. No, and, and, and that's just it for me because i felt like uh once we got to the action of this film it actually interested me uh, a little bit and i was starting to get a little more on board with this but the biggest problem is is that i pretty much checked out early on a little too late type thing yep yep so um the characters to me uh, I think are supposed to be somewhat inconsequential here. Um, and not that the performances were bad or anything like that, but this is just not the kind of film that I'm really that interested in. Uh, this is very focused on uh, things that one person could view as mundane and the other person could view of in all sense of the word, a slice of life. So, yeah. Like a slice of pie. That's right. Very good, Nicholas. (laughs) And I just just had a hard time really grasping that, and um, I just didn't really care for it. That being said, um, I found it very interesting when we had the moment when uh, the house gets completely smashed down, and talk about the space and time and that whole theory and, and everything about it throughout this entire film. We then have him in a, in a five minute span. And this is a film that literally watches the girl with the dragon tattoo, eating a pie for eight consecutive minutes with no editing. Uh, we see him trick photography. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just imagine like when I was watching, I was looking for it because I was looking for like the the pipe that she's actually putting <laughs> pie into. Because I'm not eating this whole pie. I don't oh, care who she e- ate it. I don't care. One take. I don't care who you are. I'm not eating this. <laughs> no, Rooney. Um, but we maybe see- she wanted some Mara pie. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> We see him go from the house to the building of this large building to this very futuristic, without seeming like Ghost in the Shell futuristic. Yeah, it was more just metropolitan. Yeah. Uh, and then we have the moment where he jumps off the ledge and he's Or was he pushed by a ghost? Uh-huh. And then he's back at the beginning of civilized time at that location. Where is he? Yeah. So anyways... I uh, I really wasn't interested in this, uh, and there wasn't enough here to get me completely back on the horse. 
because <laughs> they get murdered. So yeah, um, oh. <laughs> I'm not gonna Good have reach there. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm not gonna have too much more to say in terms of my actual thoughts. And if you know something comes up, I'll probably have some comments on it. But um, yeah, I just didn't care for this. Go ahead, Nick. Uh, I definitely love this movie. Um, it. <sighs> so we just saw it about literally a half hour ago ish. So I'm just coming off of it. Um, I would definitely be going to see it again. Um, I'm gonna start with superficial things first, and then maybe try to work into like themes, purpose, whatever. But uh, visually, this is, in my opinion, the best use of the four by three ratio in in modern times. I've seen in quite some time. Only really Wes Anderson uh, use of it in the Grand Budapest Hotel has really kind of rivaled what, in in much completely different ways. Where that's meticulous and um, whatever. Like even someone like Andrea Arnold, who's a filmmaker that's um, been using it for all her films, uh, like she did with American Honey and Fish Tank and uh, her adaptation of Wuthering Heights. Um, and she does great. Like her films are gorgeous, but they're always handheld, so it it's more just documentary like than it is like composing a shot for uh, four by three. Here, the use of the foreground and the background was kind of, in my opinion, just stupendous. There's a shot early in the film, uh, which is then repeated but from a different angle, which I love. But uh, when the ghost, although we don't know it at the time, we obviously we can suspect, but we, we didn't see it, wakes them up, uh, the couple, and they go to the living room to check to see what happened. And when Casey Affleck, in the original shot, is in the, the room, and the camera itself is back in the bathroom, we can't necessarily discern that. We It might be in the hallway, it might be in a whole other room, but it's not until he illuminates that room that we can actually see the space between <laughs> where this... Uh, perspective is and where these uh, human beings exist that that's a microsecond in this entire movie and there are a lot of moments like that where um the amazing i thought mix of cinematography um the claustrophobia of that four by three uh ratio and the i would say non-editing because there are no cuts in this movie not none but there are rarely cuts in this movie not to emulate a long take like Birdman like this is all what whatever because there are cuts but they're pretty nonchalant and subtle um, to the point where no scene ever actually um, like no passage gets cut from one passage to another passage it's always either a slow fade or um, as we see the, the passage of time itself uh, either through trick photography or something um, characters actually continue to exist in the same shot um, across the span of different time periods. So, you know, editing this movie is actually, I thought, brilliant because there's a lot of time where it's the absence of editing. It's, you know, the the illusion that what we're seeing is all blending together from the perspective of this ghost. I mean, the lack of editing, and this is something that was kind of thought of as a, you know, when people, when I said to people that I thought Birdman was the best edited film that year, even though there are no cuts in it, I think that's why I thought it was the best edited film No, that for year. sure, because, yeah, that movie had to, like, unlike this, like, had to pretend there was no editing, mm-hmm. you know, and actually go all out with, like, but, but hiding the, it. But it's it's doing similar things here. Yeah. Um, here it just doesn't want to call attention to yeah. it. Yeah. The, uh, the scene when Rooney Mara leaves the house three times yeah. is, I mean, I'm sure it's something that's actually probably a lot more simple than I'd like to think it is. But at the same time, you know, we see her coming and going three separate times with no And the editing. camera moves. If the camera didn't move, it would seem way less complicated because, mm-hmm. you know, you just – you don't touch it. Mm-hmm. You just – like I used to do it in my school project, mm-hmm. click the off button, click the on button, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it was able to actually um, move and pan as it's happening mm-hmm. without me being able to truly tell, like, if there was – where CGI was, if there was CGI, you know, yeah. So I I thought that was, that was a really nice uh, editing – piece of this film and there and there are other parts here that are uh that are pretty good yeah um but not 
not anything that I would determine to be above and beyond, but for an independent film, pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, you know, this isn't a movie that's a, about characters per se. It's certainly more about the, um, some of its parts than the parts themselves. Um, I thought the score was fantastic. Um, even outside of the song that's in the movie, which I also love, but the actual score itself, um, had this weird industrial vibe where it was clearly influenced by, like, I would say, past horror film scores, despite the fact that this movie is distinctly not a horror film. But in the way it, you know, it's the same instruments, but it's rearranged in a way where it's a lot more uh, tranquilizing and almost... uh, beguiling and whatnot. So I I appreciated that because here, a ghost story is also taking what I would call horror elements, but repurposing them for a much more um, dramatic and down-to-earth story, I guess is what I would say. Um, Speaking of the story, let's get into that for a second here. So... (laughs) This is, I'm going to do a Nolan fanboy moment here and say that I'm actually not, like, on board with this as, like, my dominant theory on, like, the point of a ghost story or anything like that. But I could write an essay on how a ghost story is one of the closest experiences I've had in the cinema of watching what it means to watch a movie like it i thought it's kind of spiritually doubled down on how cinema is that powerful tool in which we observe people from some kind of third party perspective and we don't truly realize that we are occupying the same space as what we are looking at you know with people you know in this movie we see the ghost at several times um standing in the middle of a living room whatever and i think it's very purposeful and distinct that we never see people like walk through the ghosts you know it's not like we're ever given some kind of like okay well he's actually translucent which would then kind of break the illusion that he, uh, the ghost um, is actually tethered to this time and space. And I appreciated that because between the rounded-off edges of the 4 by 3 ratio and the un, uh, or I should say the speechless uh, voyeurism of this ghost character, like, that's why... I go to the movies. I I go to creepily sit and stare at people as their drama unfolds. And and I think to myself, if only I could interact with them, and if only I could make some kind of impression, despite the fact that they're making more of an impression on me than I could ever, you know, on them. And so I just thought the beauty of that um, was just fantastic. And I don't even think that that's, like, the ultimate... (laughs) like thing that this movie is going for but how wonderfully maybe accidental maybe unintentional maybe not for at least for me how wonderful that spoke to me as its own uh vessel though for just being a meditation on time and space and like the horrible imdb uh synopsis said like the legacies that we can leave behind i <laughs> Even the um, even the philosophy, the philosophical rant by the, uh, the guy who looked like he was a farmer. <laughs> oh, he had overalls. On. He did. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whatever. Um, even that, where David Lowry can't help but like have the one time his dialogue is going to be heard to like make sure that someone spells out the entire thesis of the movie, mm-hmm. worked for me completely because. No one else talks throughout the rest of the movie, so whatever. Um, But as a meditation on time, loss, and all that, I I thought it worked perfectly. Um, Much like the Tree of Life, which I'm sure this will be compared to um, numerous times, even though they're really quite different, um, side by side, so to speak, because 
Uh, but much like that movie, it, it's it's a movie in which you can project your own life into. Like um, these are very nameless characters. I don't know. Do they? But ever... they don't have names. Right. So. And I was, I was trying to think if they said. And I know in like the Tree of Life, it's mother, father, mm-hmm. and you know the son is named whatever. But like we've all lost somebody. We've all worried about you know mortality. We've all, I think, at least. Um, have tried to figure out who would come to our funeral. You know, like, these are all extremely universal themes, worries, fears, and uh, moments that uh, I think what Lowry does best here is that he knows that he, besides the one scene at the party, like, he doesn't really have to have, maybe this is a cop-out, but, like, a plot or whatever, because for me, at least, these themes are already powerful enough that, like, if you try to explore them and, like, give them, like, real dialogue and a story, you'd just be distracting because this is truly a movie that seemed like it was born out of somebody's thoughts, you know, yeah. and, and not out of their words. Well, and this uh, this film also is, is interestingly... Um, not, well, I can't say interestingly. This film, to me, is interested in uh, the idea of the dead being able to move on unlike the living who usually we care about the person who's still alive in the story and them moving on from their dead significant other where we see here the complete opposite of that is the two characters who have that lovely interaction back and forth through the windows which I couldn't help but giggle at because I'm a horrible person um we have the yeah yeah the waving and the uh, it, w- it was really the subtitles that did it for okay, me. Okay, so, so here's what I'll say though, really quickly mm-hmm. about that moment, whatever. When I saw that, like I love that moment, but there is no way in my head that when I watched that, I thought that David Lowry didn't really want people to laugh at it. I think he knew that it was kind of adorable and just silly. Like I, I think he has a sense of humor about it okay. in, in those moments for me at least. Because I think that was part of. Me feeling a little bad about myself is that, I mean, we were sitting in mostly empty theater. It was just us and two other people. But we see it, and I just start giggling to myself, and and no one else was giggling. I I genuinely think in a movie that's ruminating on death and whatever, that he injected that. So that way, whether you laugh or you don't laugh, but Mm -hmm. you have this kind of like... Like moment where you actually get to exhale instead of inhale because, yeah. because these ghosts are just like, hey. yeah, we're stuck here. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, but that's the whole the whole purpose is that there's which is brings you to a very interesting and uh, in actually uh, the saddest moment of the film for me, which is we obviously see if you make it if you make it all the way to the end of this film uh, when the ghost finally is able to. I guess wear down after all those years enough to get the the note written by Rooney Mara's character out and they read it and then they move on. We have the uh the other ghost uh and just for me actually the the most impactful moment of the entire film when the ghost after the house has been torn down looks at uh Case Lafax ghost character and just goes, "Well, I guess they're not coming back." And then it just dies, evaporates, does the Obi-Wan Kenobi move to <laughs> move on. Um, and that was just, no! that was just, go back. Yeah, that was just so sad to me. Uh, and it was, it was, it actually reminded me, um, this is really random, but it reminded me of uh, a moment early on in the Sundance film we saw at the festival called Spa Night, uh, where the family... Uh, is finally pretty much forced out of of their business early on, and I, the 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 mother says something about some inanimate object, like who's going to take care of the plants or or something like that. And I just remember it being like, oh, they are gonna be at their at their place anymore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but that was that was a really sad moment when. And it's so simple, and there's really, without the subtitles, you would know nothing about these characters, but that just evaporated into nothing, and it was like, oh. Yeah, it yep. makes, makes you feel a lot better about dying, because, like, <laughs> at least when you die, you are somebody, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I... <laughs> 
Oh man, what else to say about this movie before we wrap it up? Um, I I was a big fan of it. I I still think I'm still processing it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I did love, and I didn't really see coming, not in a twist sort of way, but um, but the cycle of the chronological timeline here. So after the Casey Affleck ghost commits suicide, maybe. Maybe it was like a reset. Maybe. Who knows? But Jumps off the top of the building. After, yeah, he jumps off, and then he's quote-unquote resurrected, if you want to call it that, in a much earlier time period. And then he lives through that to get to the point in which his ghost was the ghost that uh, did the piano, and then kind of... <laughs> Which I loved, not because of the way it paid off that moment of like, oh, that's who did it, like in a puzzle box sort of way, but in the emotional catharsis of what was happening to make that happen, which is that he had that realization that he can't prevent what's going to happen, and this is just a really fucking depressing situation. Yeah, um, as soon as that sort of happened and we had that kind of reveal of the final scene of the film... All I could think of was Interstellar, so that's kind of yeah. yeah. Where it's just where you see the the books falling down. He's like, "Oh no, I'm trapped in here." Yeah, well, no. this, but the, the the thing about that though, that's the complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> that was a quote unquote ghost, other be- whatever, mm-hmm. impacting the future for the better of humanity and <laughs> changing the course of time. Here it was. How and I wouldn't say it's cynical, but it's how this moment in time uh, that was embedded in his past was actually his future self resigning himself to this cycle, which I thought was beautiful and poetic in its simplicity. Horrible, um, hor- horrible. Wait, what? Well, yeah, I mean, horrible it, as in like. Well, it's just like, like just sad and yeah, yeah like okay. like oh, this is yeah. Uh, I guess it's my time to make this have, like, noise a little, happen. Like you can't see his. Phase, but he literally has this like pouty look about him, like. Yeah. Um, and what I also loved about that is that just before that, we get the uh, obligatory fight scene where the couple is fighting because all couples fight and whatnot. But it seemed like they were actually kind of on the rocks, so to speak. Um, and what I kind of love is that <laughs> in his almost defeatist attitude when he clumps down on the piano. That's actually what triggers their late night tryst in which no dialogue is spoken, but they, and it's not even like sexual, but they connect on a level that I don't think they had in quite some time only for him to then, of course, die in a car accident. So I love that there is also twofold. It's, it's how he accidentally allows them to reconnect before his memory is essentially taken away from from her, so it it becomes this accidental legacy, and I and I love that because that's the whole point of this movie is that you can certainly set out to be like the guy said, like a Beethoven or somebody who's out to <laughs> write something, out to whatever, but. Chances are, ninety nine percent of the population, me, you, definitely Tucson. <laughs> are only going to be remembered by the shit we did not think about, you know, the um, the things in which we never thought somebody would remember about us uh, after we're gone. And, and that's the reason to keep on living. And because when you're a ghost, it'll suck so much worse when you can't actually do those types of uh moments or or really live in them you know it's it's so much worse to observe them than it is to live in them even if we can't appreciate them so yeah. um I, we can go into final ratings because okay. I, I definitely think the movie speaks for itself on some level for sure okay. and literally has a character speak for it yeah pretty much <laughs> but still yeah i uh i just didn't care for this i i did not think that this was uh really that good of a film at all um i I certainly could understand why somebody would see it entirely different than, than I do, but I'm on the other end of the spectrum this time, and that I I got really nothing out of this. And, um, you yeah. know, it's pretty much on the bottom of my list for the year because... Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it just... Really? Uh, 
Yeah, it's not at the exact bottom, but it's uh, it's. Well, down there. I was wondering, like, are there truly movies that were like worse than something um, like this? I don't know exactly where I'll yeah. put it. It's anyway. definitely not as bad as the Great Wall or Whoa. the. Great Wall is decent. That's an opinion. Uh, the Great Wall or the uh, Jake Gyllenhaal movie Life, that was not good. Ooh. So it's a, above those. Excuse me, I think you mean the Ryan Reynolds movie Life. Well, he was in that as well. He was in it just about as or, much as James Franco is I in was just going to say, Alien or the Covenant. James Franco movie Alien Covenant. <laughs> yeah. So, it, or the Keisha movie A Ghost Story. Yeah, that, that's what it's going to be known <laughs> for. Good. It's Kesha and Pie. Perfect. Uh, so yeah, it's it's still there's there's things here. Wake up here in that... the morning feeling like Teen Spirit. I got my sheet. I got my okay. No, that was good. You should have kept going. I should don't have. do that. Um, yeah, so it's it's a two out of five for me. I, I didn't I didn't care for this really, even though it has has moments within it. But yeah, I would I would not recommend this for sure. So moving on to Nick. Thank you. Um, I absolutely love this movie, and I definitely think this movie. Pretty much says that people like Alex will not be remembered by his peers, and people like me will live on in infamy. <laughs> no, I I love it. It's hard to recommend because it's very singular, um, and I think that's what's so good about it. It does go all in on what it's doing and its tone and its mood. Um, the whole elongated uh, pacing of it is really breezy to somebody like me who's watched films by Chantal Ackerman, like watch Gene Dealman. Uh, I forget the rest of the title because the movie of the title of that movie is Gene Dealman and then her actual address. So it's like 20 Brussels street, whatever. Um, that's a three hour and 20 minute movie in which the camera never moves and it only cuts whenever the character actually leaves the room that she's in because it's just watching a woman go through her routine, whether she's making potatoes, whether she's helping her son with her homework, whether she's uh, knitting or various other things. Um, and it's a great movie. So, like, I don't have any sympathy for anybody who says that, yeah, she ate pie for seven minutes in this movie. I'm not saying you said that. I'm just saying, like, watch a movie, watch anything else other than what you're normally watching. Um, so for me, like it, I know if people hadn't even really said anything about the pie scene or whatever, I probably wouldn't even really notice that it was that, but I'm sorry. What, you, you, you wouldn't have noticed I would have that noticed, went on for, for quite a while. <laughs> I wouldn't have noticed it out of place compared to like maybe the other scenes in the movie. Like hmm. I, I thought it was pretty much in the same exact pacing of, the entire film other than I wouldn't the whole movie I kept would, fluctuating between time stands still or time rages yeah. on and I that's so. that is definitely the longest standing moment of the film though and and if it is it like that's not something that jumps out at me okay which is whatever mm-hmm. um all I'm saying is that <laughs> this is nothing mm-hmm. um having said that Pretty much love everything about this movie, from the score to the cinematography to the lighting. I, I want to say fog machines were used in scenes, and not just in scenes where it was obvious, like fog outside or whatever, but it seemed to actually... I, I'm, I didn't look it up, but I assume this was shot on 60mm uh, because that's what the f- fidelity of the grain looked like. And to, to use the fog, and I think a light fog... But, in these interiors with the 16 millimeter was just as a film nerd like myself made me come a couple times um and i thought that was fantastic not just because it looked awesome which i thought it did but um just that uh weird unknowable aspect that's uh, occupying this time and space you know um one other thing i'll say before i get into a rating Mm -hmm. is that i will always love not necessarily love the movie itself like quality wise but i will always like just be an adamant supporter of movies that don't give a fuck about your suspension of disbelief um so, like, here we have, like, whether you hate this movie, love this movie, you have to buy into the fact that a man standing with a sheet over his head is a ghost, and not just a ghost, but a ghost to be taken seriously, and that, you know, 
like just that conceit. Like just look at the poster, and if you're giggling, this movie's probably not for you. Um, and and to give like another example, there's a movie from the '90s that was shot in black and white called uh, Suture, I want to say, in which. Um, these two br- identical twin brothers are, I think they're both hitmen. It's been a while since I've seen it, but both hitmen, whatever. But they're played by a white actor and an African-American actor. And they're supposed to be identical twin brothers. And to the point where even characters are, like, getting them confused. So the idea is you have to be able, to, like, to suspend your disbelief of whatever you think physics dictate or whatever you think color dictates in our world and just go with the laws of nature in this film's universe. Um, and for whatever reason, I'm always tickled when a director wants to do that. Like, it doesn't mean it's always going to be successful, but it it's always something to watch out for, in my opinion, because I think, for the most part, that is how we paved the way to things like equality in film and things like 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 it shouldn't be suspension of disbelief to have a, a like a a what, what do I want to say uh the god movie from uh, Ridley Scott oh exodus yeah, like it shouldn't be a suspension of disbelief that he just populates that movie with all white people. You know, like that, whatever. Like that's something that we should actually be able to do. But yet, you know, David Lowery can make an indie film on a shoestring budget and make a Casey Affleck be a ghost with a bedsheet. And we're like, oh, that's art, whatever. Like, I just think it, it, it's just weird. Easy when you're saying we. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I, I just think it's that weird little idiosyncrasies that we need more of this type of filmmaking. Um, doesn't mean we need more people to put on bedsheets and go boo, but where we we care less what the audience thinks and we're setting out to make films we want to make based on the aesthetics that we want to see up on screen. And um, I just think Hollywood itself could benefit from this uh, mindset. And I think... It slowly is. Uh, I thought Pete's Dragon, his uh, previous film, um, was fantastic. Um, mostly because it was set within the confines of a children's film. It, it's not like this film where it's like, you know, art house e and very uh, hard to get into if you're not on the same wavelength. But it did not treat kids condescendingly, and it actually told a story that was both right up a kid's alley and yet also uh, just beautifully quiet and meditative. And so. and and yet uh, we've had quite a few failed attempts at doing a live action Peter Pan film, and that is. Uh, something that's that's on his radar apparently it is and before you had reminded me of that like now that i've heard that i can't unsee it as far as like i think he's actually perfect for especially if you've ever get a chance to watch peace dragon Mm -hmm. uh just the whole marriage of the surreal and the grounded reality but uh, but, i mean the the interesting part about peter pan is that we've had so many attempts i mean no one can do it as good as christopher walken I was going to mention uh, the the NBC uh, production of it, but even anything that involves around the Peter Pan, we've had like the Johnny Depp Finding Neverland thing, which was kind yeah. of related to this. In that terms was at of, least a, I mean, but yeah. But when you look at the actual the Jeremy Sumter uh, Peter Pan, is that just called Peter Pan? Which which one are we talking about? The Jeremy Sumter film from like maybe a decade ago. I think it was just called Peter Pan. It was live action. I know we've got the the Pan film. Oh yeah, that was like from, a couple years ago from I'm, I'm with Hugh Jackman and actually Rooney Mara playing yes. Tiger Lily. Aww. Oh boy! And then famously we have Hook with uh, Robin Williams Certainly and, and Dustin Hoffman, which is and a technically Steven Spielberg a s- film. Sequel. Hmm? So technically, it's a sequel mm-hmm. to Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. That's fine. <laughs> At any rate. Um, it hasn't been a unanimously successful live action no. universe. So, but I think it's going to be one now. Hey, you uh you've given lots of praise for Pete's Dragon, so uh, I still do want to see that film even if I didn't like this one. Uh I'm I'm interested in that and I have been since last year, so there you go. So, final thoughts from you and uh and a rating for this 2003. Oh boy! That's the Peter Look Pan that. film. Who, I was thinking. Who's of. playing Jeremy Sumter? No, but who's oh. playing Captain Hook in that? Oh boy! It looks like. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Hold on. This is good podcasting here. It is. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Jason Isaacs. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, boy. Before his 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 big break came with Harry Potter. Yeah. Okay. Olivia <laughs> Williams played Mary Darling. Really? Interesting. Wow. Anyway. Hmm. Uh, what were we saying? We were getting to your rating at oh, some yeah, point. Oh, yeah. Four and a half out of five. Wow. I think it's fucking fantastic. Okay. And... Um, if anybody disagrees, I will stare at them when I'm dead through the eyes of cut-out eyes in a bedsheet. Well, luckily they won't know, so... True. And... Or luckily, Well, maybe. But luckily, as this movie shows, you get your choice of bedsheet. Like, you don't have to actually do uh, just a standard white. You know, he did that because he was in a car accident, so he was at the hospital. But, like, you know, if you die in a cute little roses, you know, bet mm-hmm. you get that. Maybe you just never grew up, a la Peter Pan, and maybe you got, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle sheets, whatever you want. The sky is the limit. So not really, because when you're a ghost, apparently you can't leave the uh, the land in which you inhabited. But still. Well, you kind of can. If you were at the hospital, you can make your way back. Well, yeah, you can go back, but I'm saying you can't, like, leave. To go to unknown territory that you've never explored. You're tethered to the places you were when you were alive. Okay. So four and a half out of five for you. Yes, yes. Two out of five for me. Yep. And so we, the average. Yeah, we're pretty far apart here. So if you have any thoughts on uh, this film, which is a ghost story... Uh, you can sure always is. thank you. Always send them on to us here at filmtankshow at gmail dot com, or you could always try to get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. Coming up next week, we're going to talk about the new Catherine Bigelow film, uh, as she's made European Gigolo. Not quite, oh. but you know it's <laughs> okay. She's made two, I thought, outstanding films in a row, as I quite enjoyed The Hurt Locker, which won Best Picture, and I also quite enjoy Zero Dark Thirty, and now she's making... And you love Point Break. I do, which came That's, quite a bit earlier, I'm just but... i saying, yeah, like, no. you're a big, a low, big fan. Yeah. Yeah, you are. And, you know, any time that she can do well and belittle James Cameron just a little bit, I kind of, kind of enjoy that. Just a... I, I shouldn't, guess, and I no, really no, don't, but at should. the same time... You should. It, it it does it for me just a little bit. Yeah. And I like James Cameron films. Oh. But uh, he's he seems like he's probably, a, he's probably a not-so-great person in real life. Well, uh, he wants to make a new uh, Terminator trilogy. Mm-hmm. Trilogy. I mean, mm-hmm. not just... A... Now, that's going to be after the four Avatar films, though. Probably. Maybe he'll film them, you know, simultaneously. <laughs> Arnold is just, he, he's dead by that point, and it's just to- all CGI, just, oh man, can't wait. So anyways, uh, Detroit centers around uh, the National Guard being called into Detroit uh, with African-American men being murdered at a hotel, and a cover-up, and and all that, that goodness, as uh, this is a historical event. That happened. Uh, I I actually don't know the year exactly of this, so sorry, I don't have exact history of, of this. But at the same time, that's why we go to the movies, indeed, to, to see find the, out what happened to see in the denouement expositional text on screen yeah. to remind us that this shit actually happened. To to find out what a white woman thinks about an event like this. So <laughs> I got some opinions. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be talking about that next week. To be honest with you, this go, more like they go, whoa there. <laughs> Let's have a conversation about race politics. Um, I thought this trailer was fantastic. I was way on board for this. And the idea that we've got uh, John Boyega making his first, I would say, real starring appearance in a pretty major film uh, since Star Wars. Uh, and also Anthony Mackie here too, who I pretty much always like, even though his Falcon character he was in... great in the night before. Yeah, was that a? I'm being half serious. I was. Yeah. He actually is. Is he? It. Yeah. Oh, okay. I actually think you would kind of like. That. I know you don't love uh, Rogan and Goldberg comedies, mm-hmm. but the 
cast of like Anthony Mackie as one of the leads mm-hmm. and Michael Shannon as a supporting character who continually pops up as a crazy drug dealer, I think would at least you would have to dig that. I I I'm interested now. We'll watch it around Christmas time. Sounds good. Yeah. We can wear sweaters. Yay. Yeah. So anyways, next week we'll be talking about the film Detroit. Uh you can always find our episodes on filmtankshow.com and you can also find them as well at iTunes or Stitcher at Film Tank Show. From Nick Cheney, myself, Alex Diekman, thank you, listeners, so much for joining us here on Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time. Bye, bye, no.